1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You are now tuned in to the Believe
0: Podcast Network. Do you believe? You're listening to Papa and Banks with Giants legend Carl Banks and broadcaster Bob Papa.
2: All right, welcome to another edition of Papa Banks, Papa Papa with two-time Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Each and every week we talk about hot topics in the NFL, philosophies, and try to get you ready for another week of NFL action. And Carl, I know that you are fired up because I am fired up, and if you're fired up and I'm fired up, our audience is fired up because our guest this week is Scott Pioli. Longtime general manager in the National Football League. Now he's in all kinds of media. He's a TV guy now. He's <laughs> done radio. He's got his own podcast. Scott, welcome to the show, my man.
0: Bob, Carl, thanks for having me. You know, I figured if Mr. B could make the transition from being a football guy to a media guy, why I may as well take a swing at it.
2: Well, why, why don't not? you tell the, why, why, tell the audience first where all the different platforms where we can find you.
0: Wow! So there's um, my primary job is with NFL Network. Um, you Can catch me on Tuesday mornings on Good Morning Football and wherever they tell me I'm going to be. Also do a bunch of work for CBS HQ, which is their digital platform. I've learned this difference between digital and uh, and, and it's, it's fascinating. I'm finally putting my college degrees to work, and uh, I'm also doing some stuff. Got a podcast called Tapeheads with uh Bob with which I'm sure you guys know yeah both know him, Bob and also Dan Orlovsky, And we drop those every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's called Tapeheads. You can find it on your favorite podcast place, whatever that's called.
1: (laughs) Wow, you're 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 quite the uh the busy expert in this business. He Scott. went from giving no information a, 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 to expert, giving a lot right?
0: Of you become an expert after you get fired. That's what happens. I, I learned that. <laughs> you never become an expert until you're fired and then you know you go out and people don't hold you as accountable.
1: <laughs> yeah, hindsight is 2020, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Scott, I, I'm I'm so, so excited to have you on because uh you are someone whose opinion I value so much. That I, at the end of my career, I had to have that hard conversation with somebody and it was you. Yeah. And I remember that. And um, it was, you know, I hey, Scott, I trust your opinion. Um, is it time for me to hang it up? And you gave it to me straight. It's like, well, yeah, Carl, it is. But if you wanted to go hang around somewhere, I'm sure there's a team that would take you. But I think your, your career deserves, you know, the... I think you said the dignity of, of, leaving on your terms. And I did. And that's the one thing I've always appreciated. We've always had great conversations and, and, um, a trust because I just didn't know, you know, who I should talk to, uh, about this. And I'm like the one guy who will give it to me straight and I can take it, uh, would be Scott Pioli. And I'm forever grateful. Um, for that relationship, the level of relationship that, that uh, we have.
0: No, you're going to get me emotional right out of the gate. This isn't fair. You didn't (laughs) say it was going to be. No, I mean, you think about it, Carl. Ours has been a really interesting relationship Mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. you know, there, there was this Carl Banks that I knew was the player before I started working in the league. Right. Um, Growing up in New York, being a Giants fan and kind of seeing this guy, but I wasn't like a fan fan. And then, Fast forward a couple of years later you're a player. I'm the director of pro personnel at the Cleveland Browns yeah you know so we're teammates so to speak. And then um, you know it was that, that was 96, right We had that conversation. Yeah. Um, when we moved from Cleveland to Baltimore we had that conversation and it was it was again, without me getting too emotional. Carl, some of the freedom that you gave me with that conversation, because mm. I think it was the first time that someone had asked me and wanted the, what my truth was at the time. And I didn't know if I was right or wrong. You just asked me what my truth was in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then just a couple of years later, I mean, it, it was literally a year later. We're working together at the New York Jets, right? And, yeah, and, and yeah. I'm the director of Pro Personnel. You come, and we have it, we're sharing an office. And this has been, um, you know, I know this isn't what this uh, this is going to be about today, but it, it, I, I appreciate you saying that, Carl, because um, my respect for you as uh, the football stuff is really, but as a man and a person and a friend has always been um, at the top, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that.
2: Carl, you were right. Well, I, in, I you were, you, Carl. You you were right in the age sweet spot for Al Davis to come swooping in and and pay you some <laughs> over the top money for a guy who was washed up but was a big name. Well, no, actually, he wasn't washed been. up. No, 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 no. He wasn't. He wasn't
0: washed <laughs> up. Carl had a standard, and this this is what I what I remember the relation the, the conversation being about. Carl has a standard and had a standard as a player. He had it afterwards in the job that he did at the Jets and with G3 and everything he's done, and he wasn't washed up. And I don't think it was at the Carl Banks standard at the time as a player. However, what he did have, and the reason Mr. Davis would have used him or any other coach would have been able to take him in, was his leadership, his intelligence, and his ability to see – and communicate. A lot of people can see things, right? And not everyone can communicate it to the right people and maintain the relationships and the integrity of the relationships where maybe Carl, I, and that was one of the things I learned so much from Carl. I Again, I'm getting fired up already. I, I learned so much from Carl in my time as a young NFL guy at the Cleveland Browns, because Carl was in this role as one of Bill's former players, uh, Belichick's former players, He was a senior member of the team. He was a leader. He was helping adjust the culture and change the culture. He knew what Bill needed to know. He also knew what Bill didn't need to know. He knew what Nick needed to know. He knew what Nick didn't need to know. Right. And that's really important. People don't understand the importance of of people having that filter. And then there were some things that Carl could communicate to the team about Bill that helped make sense and helped save things. So Carl had a ton of value at at
1: that point in time, right. Well, it's taking me uh, a lot of different directions, Scott. But I, that's a great place to start <clears throat> in terms of team culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I your your podcast host, who I, I absolutely mm-hmm. like and respect, Dan Orlovsky, he had a made-for-TV zinger about Joe Judge, and he said, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Timmy Toughnuts doesn't resonate in the locker room. And I just said, as long as those calls are coming from outside the building, the team's going to be good. You know, that type of noise, right? Right. And then I gave the example of the task that we had of shifting the culture in Cleveland Mm -hmm. because the calls were coming inside the building and from outside the building. And, And I said, you know, as long as, you know, people can say what they want, about a coach's methods, right? But as long as those players believe in it, that's what builds the culture. <clears throat> Absolutely. But when we had, we had players in Cleveland that would feed stuff, and they would, we know who they were. They were disgruntled guys, some of them really good players too, that it was probably the toughest task as a player and leader of, of, of men I have ever had because we're talking about some guys that were pro bowl players that just wouldn't give the culture a chance. And then you, you shift your thought process. And this is me and Pepper to, okay, we're just going to let him be, or these few guys, we'll let them be who they are. Right. We don't work on the majority. And once this majority starts to work, that voice becomes, uh, less powerful. They can't recruit because we got guys that are bought into something and right. that believe into something. And so at the end of the day, by the time we had that great, uh, great two seasons or two, one and a half seasons in Cleveland, those guys were all in, yeah. you know, and you'd have thought they never fed the media, but can you imagine what it would have been like the mm-hmm. earlier year, you know, if he would just, but it was just kind of, that was one of those deals where, you know, as a team leader and understanding what it took to to shape a culture of accountability. And then I have Pepper as as my partner in crime, you know, because we both subscribe to the same um, philosophies as our coaches, right? Because we grew up in it. So we subscribe to that, right? So, exactly. when you had guys like uh, Footman and Anthony Pleasant and Rob Burnett and Caldwell and just really talented kids, that we could just say, let, let, Come here, let us show you. Let's go to dinner, let's go. And all of a sudden, that other voice didn't have such an influence on those guys. The other guy didn't have as, as, as big of an influence. And then those guys had friends. On our team right. and they all bought in. Right. And then the other guy just, you know, he was angry for a little bit until he figured <laughs> out, you know, because we we just weren't playing. We weren't like I think one of the reasons we were there is because we were both Pepper and I were both strong minded individuals. So we weren't going to be swayed from our mission. And yeah. um, if a guy didn't want to do it, we said, OK, you, you just stay over there. We got these guys. You know, and this that, is how
0: we lead. And, Carl, that was when things started to shift. And this is one of the – this is – I love this conversation because there were also some other guys, right? We had Bavaro on the offensive side of the ball where he could kind of help. But then there were enough other young guys. You mentioned Mike Caldwell, who at the time started off as a special teams player. He got it. He bought into what you were saying because he was thoughtful and willing to listen and willing to be molded. came from Middle Tennessee – You know, AP Anthony Pleasant came from Tennessee State. He was willing to listen. Burnett was willing to listen. But then there were some other guys like Ron Wolfley, right? Yeah. Critical part of the special teams. Um, Eddie Sutter. Those guys were people always looked at starters only. But the important part was there were a lot of really smart players in what we call, you know, that those roster spots, quite honestly, from 35 to 53 that are just as critical as the starting 22 or starting 20, you know, five if you're going right. to be the holder, snapper, kicker. You know, um, those people are so critical because at some time, some point, those guys also are going to be playing on offense or defense. Right. And then it just makes those means. Remember how, I mean, guys like Wolfley, I mean, he was an important part of listening to you and to Pepper and, and Hey and Bavaro, and 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 those guys also made an important part. The way you guys influenced someone like Bob Dahl, who was a critical part. Yeah, Steve yeah. Everett, when he showed up. You know, even T-Bone Jones, telling Jones, God rest his soul. You know, he started to see it your guys' way. And, you know, Carl, the, the point that you're making here is is so critical. I just want to make this point. And – As whatever your role is, what my role was either as vice president of player personnel, general manager, whatever you call that, it doesn't matter what the hierarchy is, right? Because some organizations are set up where the general manager is the end all or the head coach. That that, that stuff doesn't matter because even if the head, if the general manager is uh, hired and hires the head coach, as soon as you hire that head coach, your job is to be a voice and get out of the way. Go find the to serve the head coach and the 53 players, the organization, the assistant coaches, because then the job becomes find the players. But it's not just finding the players, Carl. It goes back to what you're saying is finding the right players that believe in the philosophy and the style of the coach, right? Because, you know, let's face it, Parcells wasn't for everybody. Belichick's no. not for everybody. You know, there's coach, you have to be very thoughtful, not only the talent that you bring in, but the player that you're bringing in, because every leadership is different. Every leadership group, every individual leader, and every last one of us, not just the leaders, every last one of us has idiosyncrasies about our personalities and things that people are going to like, things they aren't going to like. But at the end of the day, the players need to follow the head coach, and you have to have players that believe in their style. Wow, we got we came in hot here, didn't we? Guys? Yeah,
2: man, we are not cooling <laughs> off
0: because. <laughs> Sorry about that, Bob. <laughs> no,
2: God. this is this is this is what Papa Banks is all about. We're taking people behind the curtain. So let, really let's talk on. about. Let's talk about
1: that dynamic, uh, Scott. When you talk about uh, player evaluation and getting the right type of players, right? By the way, by the way, before you get into
2: this, so you notice Carl and I. I did. I we're saw going, it right we're going gate, America man. runs on and you've got Starbucks. You're the, you know, he's been, he's Yeah, he's a I didn't
0: notice that. I, saw, and I was thinking myself and I'm embarrassed because I'm in, I'm living in Massachusetts now, right? My wife and I moved to Massachusetts, but I'm going to tell you this, a little, little bit too much information. This Starbucks bucks cup. I haven't been off Island probably in about two weeks, but what I do is I rinse out, man. So, this is. Wait a like minute. An uh, that's not, not even an excuse. This is not a Starbucks. That's on, not on even an excuse.
1: Like, isn't Dunkin' Donuts headquarters up there somewhere?
0: In Massachusetts. Yeah, but not on Nantuck. They, they don't have one on well, Nantucket. On not man a Tuckers. lot on
2: man man True
0: man story. Man. They don't have the. Okay. There's no chains on Nantucket. You've got the stocking okay. shop in a Cumby Farms, and that's about it. All, All right, right, Carl.
2: I interrupted we'll let your question there. No, it's okay. So, um,
1: the dynamics of of, of player evaluation um, in building a culture, you know, obviously when there's a change mm-hmm. um, at, at your level or at the coaching level, somehow during the course of the uh, dialogue is culture because mm-hmm. there's a change for a reason, right? Because something's not working. Yeah. So here's the one part that I think folks who pick players are often penalized two ways. And you tell me if I'm wrong. If you have taken a chance on a player who may be marginal in terms of how he fits in the culture, but he's good, he might have the edge or he might have something like that. And you pick him, you cross your fingers, right? Or you're tasked with, coming in and cleaning that out and in doing so you clean everything out it's not like the pair of shoes that you say if I clean these up I could get a few more you know what I mean so you get penalized sometimes for overcorrecting, right can you be like well it had to be done and maybe I'm paying a price for it this year but in the long run if I'm here to see it um you know, they'll appreciate this or there's the one guy that you got to manage every single week. But, you know, he's means so much as a special teams player or as a specialist or a third down guy or something that gives your team that winning edge, but not your locker room. How does that dynamic work?
0: Wow. Well, I think um, there's, there's always that sliding scale, right? It's how good is the player based on how much you're willing to put up with, right? A lot of coaches have said, you know, uh, I'm not going to treat you all the same. I'm going to treat you fairly, but I'm not going to treat you all the same. Right. Or or Mm -hmm. some version of that. Um, I think you go in and, people have different personalities and different ways of accepting and or understanding that things are going to be different and change is difficult. It is so mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable for everybody. It's uncomfortable with people instituting the change. It's uncomfortable for the people receiving the change. It's not just the players, it's the trainers, the video people. It's everybody within the football operation is dealing with a new personality. And, um, you know, it, my mind's going hundred miles an hour right now. Cause you know, I've been a part of a couple of organizations when there's been change and mm-hmm. I've, I've heard it presented different <laughs> ways and I've seen it mostly come in, come in harshly, come in hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember at the New York jets and you know, I used to write notes when Parcells was given, you know, teen talks and, and I'll never forget. There was this one point in time he said, um, and I'll paraphrase here and clean it up, but uh, and Carl, I know you were in that meeting too, mm-hmm. um, and he said, some of you folks here right now um, are going to be here, but a bunch of you ain't, mm-hmm. and if you don't like the way we're doing it, you're not going to be here, and it's going to get real uncomfortable. So if you want to leave now, let me know. And that's paraphrasing. Yeah. It was a, a little bit more colorful but, than that, and mm-hmm. and that's an approach that works. And um, some people don't like it. Some t- people don't. But again, what that was was that was full transparency. We talk about one right. full transparency. Now maybe the delivery to some people was offensive, but you know, many of us that grew up a certain way. I mean, uh, you, you hear the truth. But mm-hmm. I think Carl, you. You try to institute change, and you understand going in that there's going to be people that don't like it, and then you help them go somewhere else. Um, and I, and I don't mean that in a snarky. You help them go somewhere else, like you know, no, you you help them go somewhere else as long as they are respectful. You reciprocate. Being classic example of that was Hugh Douglas with the Jets. Yes, right, bingo,
1: great. Hugh Hugh tried the three four defense. I mean, he he gave it his all, and it became untenable for both his style of play and his level of discipline of what they needed him to do. And though, I don't think he became overtly disruptive, but we kind of saw it and it got to a point to where it was kind of like a sit-in like, you know, he would go through the motions, but not, you know what I mean? And we, you know, he went on to play in Philadelphia and have a, a, a pretty good rest of his career but we knew that it was going to be a challenge to ask him to two-gap, but and he gave it a try for a while, and it just didn't pay off for him because all he wanted right. to do is get a field and rest the past. Right.
0: And, and that's, that's the point. That's why, you know, I, I said earlier, not every head coach is for everyone, not every general manager is for everyone, not – and it doesn't make either side bad people, right? Hugh right. Douglas wasn't a bad guy. Parcells wasn't a bad guy. It just wasn't going to work. So do something where you allow him to go somewhere else, create value for yourself. Don't let a guy, you know, disrupt on his way out or use disruption- you know, it happened when we got to New England. There was people that didn't want to be there, even though they understood the way because many of them had played for Parcells. Then there was the three years of Pete Carroll, which was a completely different culture. We came back and reinstituted what was an old culture. There were some people like, hey, I don't want any of this. And the point was, listen, that's fine. Let's give it a chance. But if it doesn't work, don't be disrespectful, please. Don't be disruptive, please. And we will help you find an exit strategy. Hugh Douglas is a great example. We had a couple of more situations like that. You know, I, I had a couple in Kansas City, had a couple in, in, uh, in New England. Uh, so it's, it's just because the culture isn't right for someone doesn't make either one of the sides bad. There right. doesn't have to be an enemy in there
2: it kind of gets back no. to what you guys talked about earlier though too right uh, being truthful yeah in however way you're whatever whatever way is authentic to you but to be truthful because the one thing is if you if you're not truthful with that stuff doesn't it create even a bigger mess
0: absolutely absolutely because then what happens is just it's, it's like the game of telephone no matter what the story is and the truthful story is the next iteration is going to be different good or bad right sometimes i mean there's times you know i've heard people who tell good stories but the end of that story makes someone from making a good play to being the greatest player of all time or you know um and, and it goes on the flip side too so i think if you're not honest and you're not and being honest sometimes isn't the easy way. I remember early in my career listening, you know, to to some people say, hey, listen, we got to cut you. But, you know, there's a chance you're going to come back. So stay by your phone. They were making the conversation easy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know a lot of people in this league that do that. They leave that hope out there when in reality, they don't really believe it and they know it Mm. rather than telling someone the truth. Now telling someone what you believe your truth is, there's two things. You could be right, you could be wrong. And there's been plenty of times where I've told someone, you know, Carl, this conversation, where I've told someone what I believed my truth was and I was wrong and those players played. But they understood the intent in my heart, which was simply giving the truth because the bottom line is we're all wrong, right? So just give whatever your truth is and it's... um, Players don't want to be lied to. No one wants to be lied to, right? right. It's just it, it's it, it's not just bad business, it's 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 bad in life.
1: But you know, players respect it um, when they they spend time in an organization and there's a high level of, of of truth in conversations and teaching and coaching. And when they leave organizations, they're no bad blood. You know, I I often talk about, you know, people are are screaming again from outside the building uh, about Belichick and he's hard, he's this, he's that. Like, he's not for everybody, but can you find me 10 players that ever played for him that that trash him? Like, there are not a lot of people. Like, you're going to appreciate your time there, whether you liked it or not. And it's not going to be one of these, you know, burn the house down as you go out the door because – you haven't been lied to. You've been you've been instructed about the right way to do things, or the expectations were outlined. And so when it ends, it ends. But you don't find a lot of players that trash the program as much as people outside the building would love to just hear somebody wax poetically about you know what it's like inside. I just I just saw something from Akib Talib. Um, they were asking, him, and they were just getting ready for something juicy. And he's like, "Yo, Bill's about ball. Like, Bill don't have those rules. You can come in with a onesie on as long as you're about ball." He said, like, "We had practices where he just taught us, just talked about responsibilities." And they were just so deflated because they just thought, because of the the type of person Akib Talib is, that he would have some juicy stuff, you know, and he would. He's like, "Dude, Bill ain't got them kind of rules. He's
0: like, as long as you're about ball, he tells you what you're supposed to do." Hey, hey, hey Carl, you know it's and to Bob, you'll you'll love this too. So, that was one of the early lessons I learned because um, when I went to the Browns, I w- I was still a kid crying out loud. I was 26 years old, I think. And um you know, I had known Bill for years before um, when I met him back when I was in college and knew him, but then I had never worked with him. And when I was at Syracuse, he would talk to, as a graduate assistant coach. He would talk to me as he's because back then the giant he was a defensive coordinator of the Giants. They would do a lot of their own scouting. The coaches did a lot of the scouting for the Giants because you know, this is still the 80s. And he would start. He want to know about the Syracuse guys and the Penn State guys. And that was part of my job as a G.A. I did the advanced scouting along with being the offensive line GA. So I knew a lot of the other players. And I remember talking to him about one particular player at Syracuse and starting to describe some things. And I said something about him being undisciplined or it wasn't undisciplined, but, um, and and Bill said to me, I'll never forget, he says to me, he says, listen, I don't care about how long his hair is, how many earrings or how many tattoos. Does he show up on time, pay attention, work hard? And it was this new, right? Because I was a young guy. And to me, right. growing up in the culture that I grew up in, right? I mean, get a look at me. And growing up in that culture, if you had long hair, you know, you, we, comp- we, we, we put these stereotypes on people that look a certain way or have certain things that maybe aren't even in their control, the house they live in or the, the the place that they live in. And it was one of those moments where it really helped me from an evaluation standpoint. And by the time we got to the giants, you know, I mean, to the, uh, to the Browns, Carl, remember there was, there was a sign all around the building. that said three things, be on time, pay attention, work hard. Yep. That's it. That's all you had to do. And to be a part of the program, which was Bill's program, which was, Parcells' program, which was Coughlin's program, which was you know Romeo. Anyone who came from that background, and it goes to other people. What you know, it, it, this this large family that it wasn't just the Giants' family. Um, be on time, pay attention, work hard. Those things are pretty simple. Being disciplined, like you said, to Talib. It didn't matter what do you say if he showed up in a onesie. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you look like. Can you be on time? Can you pay attention? Can you work hard? If you can do those three things, it doesn't matter what the job is, but particularly in football, it tells you everything you need to know because if you're on time, you're, you're on time. You're punctual. You're showing respect to yourself, to all of your teammates, to everyone in the organization that you can be depended on to be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be. On, be. Pay attention. Well, if you pay attention, you're going to know what to do. If you can do your job and know what to do, like I said, those three simple things manifest themselves into everything. And it's really pretty simple. And so if we took that
1: philosophy, which I subscribe to wholeheartedly, and then you take it and you put that into practice with a player who wants to be really good. Right. And I made this analogy yesterday with Bob. I said, Losing is a lot easier than winning hmm. success. In my opinion, something in your constitution has to die and be reborn. And that's my, my way of saying it, but you, you know, the breakthrough um, mentality is what I'm talking about. When you can go from your old self to a guy who believes that this is that this way does work. Oh, yeah. And I had to kill that other guy, you know, inside of me to break through into this mentality. And I love what I'm doing and I'm going to keep doing it now. You know, it's like the hard stuff, those hard practices. But those three tenets show up, pay attention, work hard. Now, I mean, show up, pay attention, work hard. Working hard means you got to take the teaching. Right. 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 If you take the teaching and you have never had that teaching before, right? But you still want to work hard, but you never had that teaching. Something's going to die. Yeah. Something is going to die in order to accept yeah. because you can be a lot of things part-time. Like I'm a part-time pastor, I'm good at this on certain plays. And you get a guy like Al Groh that comes in and says, I'm going to make you good every single play. Cause I need yeah. you. And all of a sudden you're like, shit, excuse my French eye. But you're like, that sounds this like dude is like killing me. Yeah. And you're saying, dude, what's wrong with this dude, right? But then you go back and you say, on time, pay attention, work hard. This is what hard work looks like to these guys, right? right. And I always say Al Grow is the best teacher of linebackers oh. I've ever been around, hey. ever. This game has ever seen. Because if there is something that can make you better, he will give you every minute of his time to make you better. And that's, I mean,
0: he stays on it. Can, can I say this though? I yeah. I love Al Grow on a level that I can't describe here. And Carl, you're hundred percent right. Here's the one thing I'll say. And there I pick up things, picked up things from so many coaches along the way. And I'll say this about Al. And I've told Al this personally. Al will give any player any amount of time that they ever want or need. Yep. But here's the one thing I loved about Al Groh. When we were at the Jets, Al would leave two to three nights a week from the office in Hempstead to his house at Garden City, two to three nights a week to go home for an hour to be at dinner with his family mm. and come back to work. And he was the first coach that I ever saw do that. And that man loves his family, his wife, and his children. Oh, absolutely. It was one of those things that I learned in football. To me, I was like, wait. You know, if I was I remember thinking because I was always around all these people who just ignored their families. And mm-hmm. it's part of the culture and an exceedingly yeah. unhealthy part of the culture. But one of the reasons I will – you know, I love and respect Al as a coach eh, as much as any coach. But that little extra on Al, I have to throw that in there because it's something that I always – so much yeah. respect about Alan I see his relationship with his family and it's something that's really very different than than some other people I've worked with yeah you know, the um, the other part Carl you, that you were talking about was the, um, the 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 player kind of letting down and being willing to work here's a, an interesting distinction I remember having this conversation with Bill, I want to say it was near the end of the Browns time, or maybe it was when we were at the jets together. And we, I always heard scouts throw around the words, um, work ethic. You know, this player has a great work ethic or this player has great work habits. They always use those two words interchange. You know, they, 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 it was the same to them. It had the same meaning, but when I got around the teachers at the Cleveland Browns and saw Nick Saban teach and John Mitchell teach and, and, and Al, who was with us for a short time, mm-hmm. and Kirk Ferenc, the offensive line coach, and Pat Hill. Here's what I noticed, and I noticed this about Bill, too, and Scotty O'Brien, one of the best special teams mm-hmm. coaches I've ever been around. There's a lot of people that come into the league, and because they're football types, they have a really strong work ethic, and they're willing to grind it and go 100 miles an hour, but their work habits sucked because mm. they had never been taught, and they had never been, they just hadn't been taught good work habits. And I started using this distinction in the language and telling, you know, I remember telling Bill and having a song conversation with Bill, you know, because we had to, as Bill and I were talking about potentially working at some point in time, we talked about, okay, what did I notice in Cleveland in the guys that it worked with him and the guys that didn't work with him? And guys who had a strong work ethic had a chance. If they didn't have the intelligence, and I don't mean high, you know, test score or whatever that, you know, or, or IQ or whatever that is, if they were smart enough, meaning they were willing to know what they knew, knew and didn't know, and then learn and had good work ethic, Bill and the staff would teach them work habits, which goes to one of the biggest things in pro football that we don't have enough time for that is ramped up, which is player development. And player development is such a key part of yeah. <clears> the whole thing. You know, you can't create instant players. Personnel mm-hmm. guys, we're going to get it wrong too often. We're going to have, you know, we're the guys sometimes want to say, oh, let's get this guy in. He's got skills. He's got tools. He's got the makeup. Yeah. He's got this stuff. If you guys can just develop them, well, we got to give the coaches the chance and the coaches have to be willing to, and the coaches have to be good enough teachers. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of work ethic, and then giving the people with a strong work ethic, teaching them good work habits and work habits are simply the way that they learn, the way that they the way that they yeah. do their business. Does it does that make sense?
1: Oh, 100 percent. I am. Listen, it's like I'm talking you're talking to a mirror right now because I, I say the same thing. Bob and I you have these same hair, conversations, <laughs> but it's 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 we're I, I again. We were raised in the same system, so we subscribe to the same theories. But um, there are principles that are necessary for success in this league. And, you know, work habits, uh, the way you're taught, the way you learn, your willingness to be and your willingness to teach, right? Um, Are you a coach that is happy? that there are no practices, you know, that the, the, the practice has been legislated out of football? Or are you a coach that's pissed and you got to add more coaches just so you can do more teaching? You know what I mean? These are things that you have to work a system now so that you can develop players. But I
2: want to now. Well, uh, you midway, know, just, just before you finish that point, Carl, and I don't want to take this conversation in a different direction, but it leads to coaches and personnel people, GMs, personnel people being thrown under the bus by ownership and players in these negotiations because they've legislated a lot of the football out of what the offseason is and even in season as much as you can do. And to me, the abolition of NFL Europe uh, is something that this gave guys an opportunity to develop football skills in the offseason or in that time. But anyway, that's my little rant. Go ahead, Carl. Unless so, Scott disagrees. No, no.
0: I, I think there's multiple things of, of player development. And I think sometimes because players develop at different um, at different times. Their bodies develop at different times. Their mm. minds develop at different times. We know this about the m- mind of young men and, and when they can actually right. start learning when, when some can't. You know, we we also, I think, Bob, I, I there was things I loved about those other leagues and there were things that I didn't because I remember – as as a, you know, working in a system that was always a two-gap system for defense. There weren't any teams playing in NFL Europe or the World League or those other leagues that ran a two-gap defense. So when trying to evaluate a player and think that, again, you've got a player now who's maybe been one gap their whole life, been a disruptive upfield, you know, a completely different player in in college and then gets a couple more years that, and then you're trying to project them into how they're going to fit in your system – Um, yes, there's certain things, but even the coaches in NFL Europe, they're trying to win games too. So they're becoming more about their scheme than they are teaching all of the fundamentals that some of the players are missing. You know, yet I say that, you know, but we've had, you know, I had a chance to be, get exposed to some players that came in and actually did a good job. It's, um, it's, it's complicated, I'd love to see there be something else where you can see some of these guys that maybe we lose after college do it. I mean, the way the league is now, though, the numbers that we have on practice squad, the numbers that you're allowed to have people learning, teaching, growing within your own system, you know, is really good because then once you get them in your system again and teach them philosophically what you're doing, Bob, and then also get them used to um, players – you, you have, you get a chance to see those play. I'll never forget watching Nick Saban during a workout in Cleveland. And again, I was a young guy. I was still learning. And it was one of these moments where I learned about uncoachable players. And it was during a, it was a player tryout. And we're inside that in, indoor facility in Berea. And Nick is telling the guy, okay, here's the drill. We're going to do this, this, this. And every time Nick started talking, the guy said, yeah, 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 got it. And at first, then Nick would have to stop. No, no, I want you to do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. And finally, after about the third or fourth time, Nick just yells, "Would you shut the f up? You ain't got it. Shut your mouth and take the coaching, and then do the drill." And the, but I'll tell you what, that moment completely unraveled the kid because it exposed that he was one of these guys that he felt he should be saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he didn't want to look not smart and that he Mm. knew what he was doing. But then once Nick got after him, he also exposed how he wasn't going to be able to take that kind of coaching. So he wasn't going to be the guy for us. Right. Because Nick, Bill, it's a different kind of culture. And, And if you can't take being talked to in a certain way. Again, not every program's for everybody. All
2: right, Carl, get back to your point.
1: So, no, no, it's this is all part of it. It's all part of what makes this guy so brilliant in uh, his understanding of the game. Um, So, Scott, let's talk now about the – we talk about players, we talk about culture, and then there's this inexact science of Mm – Picking players, it's not an exact science, right? So there's this, and you touched on it a little bit, but there's this player evaluation, and then a player performance. And player looks great, GM gets a at a boy, right? Player sucks. What this? What does this guy see? Why did he overrate this guy, right? Um, but the reality is this and you correct me if I'm wrong, there are more misses than there are hits Go in ahead. this in this player evaluation game. And depending on who you like, outside, when you're outside an organization and you need to throw an arrow at somebody, depends on who you like is who gets the arrow, correct?
0: <laughs> exactly right.
1: <laughs> now, here's the thing that I've seen increasingly more with the exception of a, a, a Dwayne Haskins, who he took the brunt of everything. Players are never wrong. If a player sucks, it's the guy who picked him, right? And I'm a firm believer. Now, again, picking players ain't an exact science, but if you're picking from a pool of, 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 of uh, talented players that are all rated in a particular round, and you don't reach for a player down or up, right? And that player within that pool, like you got a whole, you got, let's say you got a lot full of Ferraris, and they're all Ferraris, right? And the one you pick, you know, doesn't perform as well as others, right? Might need to be fine-tuned. But why that one is not performing and the other ones are on the road doing whatever they do, you suck. (laughs) because you picked a bad, he shouldn't have been, he shouldn't have been evaluated who rated him, who over, but, you know, leading up into the season, everybody had him in that pool of Ferraris, right? And you just mentioned what players develop slower than others. Now, here's the thing. We have that, right? And then we have what I call a scholarship. (laughs) Right. So, like, there's this balance of, OK, I got to evaluate him. Player has to do something. Right. And I want you to talk about that. And then I want to circle back to this whole scholarship thing where you don't want to be embarrassed. So you keep him around instead of moving yeah. on and
0: bettering the tape. That's bad business. Well, I'll I'll just start. That's bad business because that's about ego. That's about job security. That is not about the greater good. Every day we ask coaches and players and front office, we we tell everybody everything we're going to do that we're going to do is in the best interest of winning. And once you figure out something's not going to work, even if it's going to make you look bad, if you're wrong, you're wrong. We've all been wrong. We're all gonna, you know. Carl, you started this out by saying you're 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 wrong more often than you're right. That's mm-hmm. part of what 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 people. It, it's kind of like baseball, right? You can fail two out of three times at bat, and if you still if you're one for three your entire career, you will be one of the greatest history hitters in the history of the game. I still got I think batting average is important, right? Now. I'm a big believer we're going to get it wrong and it's going to take time development. That's why I'm a big believer in collecting draft picks. The more currency you have, the more picks you have, the more picks you make. If you are humble enough and self-aware enough to know that you're going to get it wrong more times than right, you take the beating with being wrong. But if you have more picks, the more picks you have, I mean, again, I wasn't a big math guy. I had to take it twice in 10th grade. Um, not 10th grade twice, but 10th grade math twice, but the more picks you have, the more opportunities you have to be right. And that's pretty simple. What you need to do though, is have an understanding of yourself and an understanding within your organization and explain to people, don't surprise people, make that part of your, what your process is part of understanding what it is. Explain that to your fan base. We're going to get it wrong more often than right, but if we have a lot of picks, you know, we're going to get some really good players and we're going to get it right and really right sometimes. So that that's part of it. And then getting the players, you know, Carl, I started writing things down here as, as you were talking. And the other thing is this, sometimes when you make a pick, where a player is picked, meaning number one overall, number three overall, number seven overall, sometimes where you pick a player doesn't allow you or the player to manage the expectations of that player. And that's, you know, I always go back to, you know, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. They're older examples, but I think you need to have the, the, the history <clears throat> in order to explain this. Um, Tony Mandarich, okay, Known to some people as the, the biggest bust in NFL history, I disagree. He was picked number one overall. There was such a big thing made of him, and and rightfully so, he probably fed into some of it, and his agents did and all that, mm-hmm. that he was going to be the greatest offensive lineman ever, you know, the greatest since John Hanna. And he struggled, and we know the reasons he struggled, that he he came out publicly. But people don't realize that after he went away, he came back and he played for the Indianapolis Colts for a number of years and was a solid NFL starter for a number of years. And But because of the expectation and the hype and all of the news, um, he was never going to succeed to the level that he was expected to. I go back, and again, I'll share this. I mean, Bob, you remember this guy too Um, when we were at the Jets, James Farrier. We drafted yeah. Potsy. Potsy. Exactly. We drafted him. And initially with the Jets, it didn't, you know, it wasn't superstardom. It wasn't fantastic. He was a good, solid pick that eventually developed, that eventually, what did he have, like a 12-, 13-year career? Yeah, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. In Pittsburgh. <laughs> and this guy had one heck of a career. Yeah. And I think sometimes what happens in this whole draft thing is, and I know I'm hitting a bunch of different points here, is the things that can hurt – again, I don't care about how it hurts the person making the picks because you suck it up and you live with it. But the players, to me, what's unfair is I don't like to see when players are picked at a certain level and they people don't understand and or respect – why they were picked? I go back to one of my picks in Kansas City, and I know people still like to to make a joke, um, y- you know, to make a joke at out of the pick, and it's, you know, I, I just anyway, I, w- we'll save that for later on.
2: Uh, well, okay. you can go, you can go. Well, I'll give you another example. This is just my personal opinion. Maybe you guys disagree, but had Alex Smith been drafted ninth or Alex Smith had been drafted 12th. Don't you think people would have looked at his body of work and what turned out to be an outstanding career? Yeah. A guy that got his team to the playoffs, had to deal with three different offensive coordinators, I Mm -hmm. think his first three years in the league, and what he did in the postseason, when when he got into the postseason uh, with the Niners and with Kansas City, they didn't lose those games because of Alex Smith. They lost for other reasons. But because he was number one overall and he was in the same draft as Aaron Rodgers, there was always this view of That's him right. that does not match exactly That's a great example. he had.
0: That's a great example. and There's lots of examples. like, you know, I'm going to say Tyson Jackson. Tyson Jackson, mm-hmm. when I picked Tyson Jackson in Kansas City, he was the number three pick overall. Was he worthy of that? you can argue that all day long, but if you look at the rest of the first round that of that draft, there was a lot of players that, that didn't make it, you know, and and you, you, you look at all the guys who were were picked, you know, 10 picks around him. um, It didn't work out, but at the time Tyson Jackson was exactly what we needed was a defensive lineman. that could play in that defense. Was a two gap guy and was going to play, the defensive end position the five technique the way that it needed to be played he had played for nick previously at lsu that's the defense we were going to run but because he was a defensive end everyone saw him as okay defensive end this is going to be a pass rusher sack guy Mm. and he wasn't tyson jackson went on to play 10 or 11 years in the league was one of the captains on our Atlanta Falcons team that went to the Super Bowl. That's what he was picked for. But because I drafted him number three, that was unfair to him because he was expected to be this thing that that he wasn't going to be in terms of a sack artist and all of this stuff. But he ended up being a really good player in the league. And I remember talking to Jimmy Johnson before I made the pick. And I had asked him about uh, the, the pick that he made the, the, his first pick. Oh my gosh. I'm totally blanking. Uh, went to the Seattle Seahawks at the end of his career. He picked him at the Cowboys, Russell, Maryland, Russell, Maryland. No. Yeah. And, yeah, Russell, Maryland. And he said, Scott, here's the deal. Here's why I, I, when I picked Russell, Maryland, I had a history with him. He could play the defense. He would be a cornerstone. He would know exactly what to do. I knew that he was going to be all in on my program. I knew that he was never going to make a Pro Bowl. I knew he was never going to be a sack guy, that he was just going to be a really good player. Turn around, Russell Maryland plays, what, 11 years in the league. I think he made one Pro Bowl, had 20 career sacks or 22 career sacks. And Jimmy, I remember Jimmy's Coach Johnson saying to me, he said, Scott, worry about building your team. He said, not everyone is going to match. what He drafted Russell Maryland number one overall. Yeah. And he wasn't. He had a big name. He was a really good player on mm-hmm. a really good team, so he became a higher-profile name. But it's not like he was, you know, uh, you know, uh, a, a sack artist or a big stat guy, but he helped Jimmy institute his program. I don't know if that makes any sense. But no, it
1: does because
0: – It's Matt and In Carl's in wheelhouse.
1: In the world of pro football focus is where hmm. the personnel people take the hits now. Because they'll place a value on if a guy is picked number two overall, he should be X, Y, and Z. No, he doesn't. He should be very good for your program and fill the need of your program, not the need of what the and see. I'm I'm obviously you know I've been around football long enough, Scott, that I'm I'm not anti analytics because we called them tendencies as I was growing right, exactly up. Exactly right. right. But these data sets that, and I always say, the numbers don't have a heartbeat, right? The numbers really don't have a brain. They're either forward-looking or backwards-looking, right? But what those numbers don't do, they don't talk to a personnel guy or talk to a head coach who stood on the table and said, this is the piece I'm missing. There's nobody like him in the next four rounds. I'm going to struggle if I don't get this guy, right? Right. Now he ain't sexy. I know you want me to take X, Y, and Z because that's what the data says. This guy makes my program immediately better. It may not show up where people expect it to, but will be so much better. And I think that's where uh, the, the the personnel people uh, get knocked because they have these these. And, and I'm not anti again. I'm not anti analytics and not anti pro football focus but they, they assign values to certain things. It's like, okay, the running back is devalued in the league until you need one, right? And the one you need is available. It just happened to be available where you're picking, right? Could you go down and get a guy who's not as good and you'll be in on this treadmill forever, right? Or are you saying to yourself, well, hell, I got a quarterback who needs to be complemented by a strong run game. So I need this guy, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not telling you that's why Pittsburgh took uh, the kid from Alabama, but I, I suspect yeah, I suspect the reason he's there is to kind of balance off what Ben is and what he isn't right now. Yeah.
0: And I am a believer in analytics because mm-hmm. again i was a believer in tendencies and analytics is is it, it it's a very this is a very long conversation because i've been trying to get my head around this going forward and forth down thing that's become so so mm-hmm. big right now and i believe that there are times you have to go for it and forth down i don't believe that you need to go for it every time and i think you need to be thoughtful about all of the circumstances because there's so many variables and again i love looking and listening to analytics because then they say, okay, when I get the information, like, okay, why? I always want, you have to keep it. That's what this game is about. You have to keep asking why, why, Mm -hmm. why? Like a three-year-old. And then you keep going back to the film. The analytics can lead you to figuring something out that maybe you hadn't been thinking of. It can also give you an explanation for certain things, but then you still have to do it with film. And I'm not saying because the film is more important. I'm saying because you still have to visualize it and and see what the truth is. The most fascinating thing to me about this analytics thing is, and, and I've been trying to explain this to people because it has value and it has importance. The problem is That's, you know, we talk about how our society is so polarized right now. You want to talk about something that's going to polarize people in the game of football. It's talking about analytics and football guys. And even that term football guys, which I get called all the time, I actually made a comment uh, this week about um, the fourth down thing and got called a boomer. I had to, you know, which. What happens is in these discussions is exactly that. The discussion starts and as soon as you disagree or push back on the other side, which other, whichever side you're on, one side goes on the attack. They yeah. go after people in ways that are insulting, that are not about the team not about the greater good. If people could sit in some of the conversations that Belichick and I had and Belichick and Ernie Adams and I had and the disagreements that we had, what we never did though was get personal because we were about disagreeing to get to a place to agree for the Mm. greater good. It wasn't about insulting someone. It wasn't about triggering their insecurities because this is what happens in the whole analytics discussion is if you're a football person, as analytics people call, Um, football people and football people call analytics people, analytics people, those people. If there's a disagreement, they'll either throw things at one another right there and try to embarrass them in front of people or they leave a room and talk behind one another's back. To me, that's a bigger cultural problem that has created this divide in or this polarization between analytics and football. Because I think, that if you're smart, you're calm, you're thoughtful, you're a good leader, and you're a good, you're just a good teammate. You learn how to have those discussions to lead to a productive place. Go ahead, and, I, Bob. and I
2: and I and I think what the analytic analytics people need to do, in my opinion, is open up a history book, because when they butt heads with the football guys, do they not realize that Paul Brown? The great Paul Brown with the Cleveland Browns was all about offensive analytics and how he attacked defenses. Tom Landry, who had a science background, was one of the, the first coaches as far as studying defensive tape and used analytics, as you guys, as Carl mentioned, tendencies to create the umbrella defense to slow down Jim Brown. Well, that was happening in the 40s and the 50s. It just had a different name. It had a different name. It had a different, but like Carl always says, okay, we can have the analytics, but what's the wind doing right now is my left tackle. Who's my best player hurt is my short yardage back. Did he just tweak his ankle? And now we got the backup guy in there. And is it more favorable because where our defense is playing to not go for it on fourth and three at the plus 30, uh, 39. because we can punt it with the wind working our advantage, get it outside, out of bounds inside the 10, play defense and get another crack at it as opposed to giving them the ball right here.
0: Absolutely. And, and, I know. Then, and the flip side is if you don't believe, well, here's what sucks in this whole thing, and I mean, because this really, this this whole conflict bothers me, is if you don't agree with the other side, it's this, both sides have this scorch the earth mentality. Yeah, And they try to bully or shame the other inside. You know, the football side will say, oh, you've never worn a jock or you've never played the game, you don't know. They immediately go to the place to pick on the person who's trying to be thoughtful and trigger what maybe their insecurity is. And on the other side, the person on the analytics side immediately goes, goes to the owner and says, this person's not smart enough, they just don't get it. They become intellectually condescending and again, what football is about is how people from all these different backgrounds come together and are more understanding towards. And, and Carl, you were on championship teams. I've been a part of championship teams. You don't go after. You don't target the insecurities of other people. You have the conversation. respect. Yes. And sometimes it gets, you know, uncomfortable. Then the other thing is, when you leave that room, you don't go talk to the owner. Or talk to someone outside the family, right? Right. Family business is family business. You don't go outside the family and start to try to passively, aggressively undo someone's reputation within an organization.
1: So 100% correct. And there's one word you said, and and here's what I would do if I were running an organization. I'd put my personnel person here in one office, and I'd put my analytics person, my data guy in the next office next to him. And in route between those offices, it will be a sign. And you said it. The sign should say why. That should be it. Let's go into the why room. I want you to come into this room, the why room, and why should I run this? Let me tell you why I can't. Right? Right. Um, your, your points are valid, but here's what you have to factor in. I got a backup offensive tackle a replacement guard, and my center is hobbled. Mm. I don't think, and they're healthy on the other side. I have to make a decision in the moment. This is why. So let's go over, let's let's war game this before these situations come up, before you get in my headset on during the course of the game. Mm-hmm. You need to know the why we can or cannot. So when you call down and say, we can go for it, these conditions are met because the numbers do not, Factor in these conditions. And conversely, they can say, well, here's the why you should when these conditions are there, you shouldn't push back on it because your likelihood of success is going to be great. But there has to be a why room and you have to war game these things with a heartbeat. When you say, let's do this, like when Bill, when we do situational practices, right, And, and this impromptu banks just pulled a hamstring. And his backup has got to know everything he's doing, right? Or <clears throat> the guy who was a long snapper in college, he might be fourth down the list and Bill just went through a practice, right? And he threw everybody out with an injury and this guy's standing around like, who's our who's our long snapper now? It's like, you are stupid. You were, you know, and we went over this. But these right. are the things that when when the data folk, <clears throat> the data professionals, and the uh, personnel and the coaching professionals get together, they need to war game scenarios. That's where the disconnect, I think, happens within an organization, and then it bleeds out into the the opposing communities where they bark at each other. You need to war game this stuff.
0: And you do. And and again, when you go through it, don't make it personal, right? Because what happens is – it really comes down to egos. And when egos have that conflict, someone wants to leave the room being right. And you were wrong. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, football people are just as guilty. There's been, you know, I've heard that. What do you know? You never played the game. You've never coached game. That's disrespectful too. You can't expect, um, there to be collaboration that's going to get to get you to a greater good. And you can fight. Like I said, if you could have heard some of the arguments in the fights, but you don't, there's a difference between arguing, fighting, and then embarrassing someone intentionally mm-hmm. and hurting them. And that's, that's where right. stuff's got to stop.
2: Right. It's which is, just which is kind of funny because we we started this whole thing talking about building a team. Yeah. uh And one of the mm-hmm. things that we talked about was, you, you know, <clears throat> You got to accept the coaching, you know, be on time, you know, work hard. Pay attention. So you're you're asking that amongst the players, your collective group of 53, your practice squad, your coaches. Yet, if you don't carry that same philosophy upstairs to the weekly planning and at the end of the day, you all in analytics and coaching staff and and everybody else, that's also part of that. If you don't carry that same philosophy upstairs, you're never going to win.
0: Right. And it's, and that has to be a part of your process and it needs to be an organizational culture because it just, and you have to allow that, Carl, I mean, you and I worked this together when we were at the Jets, we were trying to spread the football culture into an organizational culture through everything mm-hmm. into accounting, into sponsorship, into the mm-hmm. IT department. Remember, uh, you yeah. know, and, and I mean, because Carl, I'll tell you what, this was one of the beautiful things. Carl, because of his intelligence and his under, he says he's not – Carl was an analytics guy before there was analytics. I mean, you worked with that company. I won't mention the name because I don't think we could give a shout out. But you were working – and you brought those people in. They rebuilt our entire-, entire database. It allowed this collaboration between Carl, who has this brilliant football mind and just this brilliant mind, period – and we were remember all that time we spent together working, yeah. working Carl. You, yeah. me. Remember our friend Tracy Geist and, yes. and Hal and all of those folks and trying to to get a, and Christine and trying to get everyone to work together and mm-hmm. to be on the same page. But we were pushing the same culture about even the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand, but we need you here at nine o'clock tonight.
2: Yeah. You know, it was yeah.
0: it was part yeah. of,
1: it. but that um. I mean, what we did in terms of the comp- cons- computer systems and, and some of the data and analytics stuff we were re- doing, I mean, we were ahead or on pace to be with the top yeah. <clears throat> thinkers in the game. And then the rest of the game, because I remember it was either you or me that was at one of the owners' meetings or one of the, the meetings for our, our, our silo of, of, of peers, and talking about this and coming back and people are like pushing back against it and just didn't, yeah. you know, it was because it, it was it made learning much better it made teaching much better um, and data collection much better. So it was um, it was cool. We've been on here for a while, Scott, and, you know, yeah. we can do this all day. You and I. Yeah,
0: I um, for are living, man. You yeah. guys are getting
1: paid for this. I'm not. I got, I got a job. No, no, no. You you don't even know you're in, you're interviewing right now for uh, there'll probably be a bunch of openings around the league and uh, in college. So I hope. To, I, I really hope you get back into a um, front office because I think you're a value to the the sport. Uh, that's my personal feelings, and I have firsthand knowledge of it. So um, I, I am grateful and Bob I don't know what our time is like but I just yeah, want to I'm say still
0: hoping to be a G3 model. That's what I want to be called a GM that model you happening.
1: say a model GM no, a G3 model. A model GM <laughs> <laughs> uh but I just want to say you know um this is is has been great for for me and I think uh our listeners are going to be smarter as a result of you being on this podcast because this right. is these are the type of conversations I, I've always enjoyed us having and just having the opportunity to share this with people. And there was so many more things I wanted to talk about, like contracts and the availability of players and how now the more injuries players
0: have.
2: <laughs> I'll come back. Well, you would just come back. We also have to tee Scott up in another area of his wheelhouse, which is diversity. Uh, yes. And and all the things that you've championed and all the work that you've done as far as that's concerned. So now you have to come on. And we didn't even talk about any of the games this weekend. I know. Yeah. I be back. But I'm this is anywhere. like this, this is this behind
1: is, the curtains. This is when Scott Pioli chews on his pencil and he comes in and says, Banksy. I, I, I I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z and get JoJo Wooden in here and, and JoJo and, ho and, ho and about Brian minute, Gain. Jojo. Gain, I need you to go. Yeah. Him
2: I, and Brian both. I have one just, last question for Scott. Can I can I fire it up? Yeah.
0: It depends. I reserve the right to not
2: answer. How many times did you wash out that Starbucks cup? Like what usage are you on with that? <laughs> because unless it, unless it's made out of plastic at My, some point the cardboard has to wear out.
0: It does, but here's the thing uh, I don't pull some my, my wife and daughter think I'm crazy. But here's the thing. So you, if you look at it, it starts on the seam. It starts to get that little bit. When it he's starts biting it. down the seam enough, that's when you got abandoned. Because that means it's going to leak at some point in time. Hey, I'm going to he world, Bob. All right. He's
1: a nibbler. He'll take that pencil and he'll grind the pencil. You have to see it. Now He's he's got the retractable pencil now. But back then, he'd have this pencil and he'd be chewing on it. And well, here's get, the other thing uh, I
0: still have I got for you. I'm I'm just picking it up now. I've got the blue pen, the red yeah. pen, the yellow, green and red highlighter. Everything I do, I still colors, if, man. If,
1: if you if Bob knows this, I have the the um the little uh, pin pin pocket. I got every single one of those
2: colors too, as a result to me. Every
0: color means <laughs> something different.
2: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Carl, you know, you see my charts. Every yeah. color yeah. has an identity. You know, Banks yeah. is
0: a state university guy, but I'm a directional state university guy, so I, I have to go with extra colors. <laughs> I need a little help. But I'm- <laughs> hey, I, oh,
2: I want to remind I remind all of our fans that are listening or watching. Uh, Bet online is your number one spot for pro and college football action. Uh, head to the website, use the mobile device, sign up today. You receive fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget, use the promo code believe B L E A V. To receive your bonus, bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Scott, we got to have you on because we got to get into the yeah. diversity thing. Yeah. And we because have to get we, into
0: And we'll talk about Jojo Wooden, who was the first my first yeah. opportunity to hire someone. And he was and now he's crushing it with the Chargers.
1: Yes, he is. And um, you know, you got players and how you place value on players when no one's healthy anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, and there's well, contracts, back, all of oh, this stuff, man. We got to have, you back. have is, you back. This is great.
2: All right. Okay. All right well, Guys, what, Thank how, you so much. I appreciate no, it.
1: Thank you, sir. How, how thank do we you. always end it, Carl? Tell a friend to tell a friend. And this tell is what you need to tell a friend about, because yes. if you're interested and in, 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 you want to be a, a Twitter GM, this guy can make you smarter you, than
2: you actually think you are. Tell a friend to tell a friend. It's the pop. I'm on Bank Twitter, too. How about Scott that? Oh, give your handle. Um That's, that's Scott Pioli
1: fifty one. <laughs> yeah, that's Scott uh, Pioli. What is what is the fifty one for? Like you, you put your
0: number on there? Heck yeah, that was yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. high school they Washington Wizards number fifty one, <laughs> Connecticut Blue Devils fifty one. It's a it's then a lifetime gotta, thing, man. You You got to put a
1: profile pic of you in that jersey.
0: My dad used to say that was probably my IQ, too.
2: (laughs) Perfect way to end it. Tell a friend to tell a friend. The Papa Bank Show on all of your favorite podcast platforms and on YouTube. We'll catch you next week.